0: Thank you for singing. <clears throat> thank you for building a room with great acoustic. Thank you for lights. I can see a few notes. Thank you for air conditioning. And most of all, thank you for you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I won the raffle for Father's Day and was here then. Glad to be here now. So, second time I feel at home. And I consider this. <clears throat> To be the church in the lake area with the most potential. David, but we haven't had a pastor for so long. He said, listen, I've I've never been in a church that has more competent, professional, successful people. You people have been successful in everything that you've done in business and in many other ways all through your lives. What could keep you from being successful in the best sense in the world of church? You're attached to Jesus Christ. All you need to do is be obedient in just a handful of areas. And the people that read the statistics in the gray PCA book that indeed has gray statistics for our presbytery, they'll say, wow, what are they doing at the Lake Oconee Church? You can do that. The purpose of preaching is life change. You've been in the Sunday school class, you've gathered facts. You've gathered facts in other settings. I'm so excited that you have seven small groups. It's awesome. But the purpose of preaching the next 25 minutes, though I thought that the custom is to preach till 5 after 12, it's not done here. So you can really put a whipping on the, the Baptists at the lunch places today. The purpose of preaching is life change. And I want to expose you to a handful of verses from the Bible that are life changing. I thank God for each of you. And I believe that the Lord can use you in your areas and your sphere of influence as days and weeks, and as we begin the new year, school-wise, uh, in a great way to glorify His name and fulfill His great commission. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for Your Word, Your Son, our Savior, the ministry of this church, and all of the remarkable blessings. That you have so graciously given us. Speak to us today through your word. Be pleased to use this servant whose sins are many, but whose sins are forgiven. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your bulletin contains a page where it has one of the most outrageous sermon titles listed that you would ever see. But it's all about you and the power of God. Let's look at this and let's change a word. Let me read the sermon title. What would I attempt to do for God if I was guaranteed that I could not fail? Wow. So here it is. What would you attempt to do for God if you possessed a guarantee that you would not fail? It doesn't mean leaping tall buildings in a single bound or being fast, stronger than a locomotive or faster than a bullet. It doesn't mean you can climb to a high building and jump off and have the law of gravity pay no, uh, have no effect on you. It doesn't mean that you're free to uh, forget your mortgage. But all through your church experience, you have heard Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the focus. On one hand, here is the thought in your heart in the next 25 minutes. What would I attempt to do for God if I was guaranteed by God in His Word that I would not fail? Luke 18.37 Jesus said, The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Think about your team as the Lake Oconee Church and apply that word. The things that are impossible with us are possible with God. when Jesus meets with his team of apostles the night that he was betrayed, then he gives, they do the Lord's Supper, there's the washing of feet. Jesus tells his team that one of them will, will betray him and that he's leaving. In chapter 15, he says, Without me, you can do nothing. But with God all things are possible. So let's look at the scripture that that Paul wrote to the Philippians in that fourth chapter. When our family lived in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale years ago, there was a a physician that as he would uh, tear off pages on his prescription pad, he'd he'd write the prescription and tear it off, give it to somebody, write another prescription, give it to them. Then invariably, one of the prescriptions that he would write, he would write Philippians 4, tear it off and say, you need to read this every day. Well, that's good advice from from the doc. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 13. Do not be anxious about anything. Not anxious. Good grief, the world is filled with anxiety and worry and fear. What does the Word of God have to say about that? Do not be anxious about anything, but here's the remedy. But in everything, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, reminding yourself of God's track record in your life, present your requests, all of those things to God. Well, what happens then? The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Military guards are effective, Tom, aren't they? That's the word that's used here for guard. It's a military term. It's a guard that works. It's effective. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's where your focus is, those things. That's where your mind rests. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is Excellent or praiseworthy? Think about those things. Those are your topics to conversation. He continues, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I greatly rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. The Philippians had gifts for Paul. The Philippians had finances for Paul. The church at Philippi was filled with Roman soldiers who had made it through life in the legions and now were retired. You have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now I'm not saying this in terms of your gifts, because I'm in need. And listen to what he says about how he thinks about his life. I have learned, it's not natural, I've learned it, to be content whatever the circumstances. And here he's under house arrest. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here it is, I can do all things, everything, through him who literally infuses his strength into me. The way that I think of that infusion, if you have an ice maker that works, unlike ours, Then you hear the clunk, clunk, clunk. If the ice maker is working, it's infusing cubes into the container. That's the same sort of picture. It's the infusion of cubes into the container. Well, the cubes are the power of God, and you're the container. And so he says, I can do everything. Because of the power of God that infuses that power into me. Without me, you can do nothing. I know that. But look what you do with Christ. The early followers, like the Apostle Paul, really believed that God could do anything. They knew that He had created the heavens and the earth. He had spoken and all of the universe existed. And here they are as tiny little people on planet Earth, turned into, as Paul writes in Romans 8, more than conquerors. Well, who were the conquerors in the first century? It's the Roman legions. But when Paul uses the word conquerors, he really uses a word that we would best translate as supermen, superwomen. We are more than conquerors. We are superwomen. This room is filled with supermen and superwomen, spiritually, because of the infusion of Christ into you. The early believers had uh, an enormous view of the power of God. God can do anything. With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so Jesus set these believers out on an incredible task. You read in the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, they gather there on that mountain, and Jesus is about to give the great commission. But there's the phrase that some doubted. I wonder who that was. Some doubted. They're looking at the resurrected Christ. Some doubted. And so he said to them, Change the world. So he left his church and the world so that people could learn how to have eternal life. So these first century Christians set out to change the world. And in a great measure, they were successful. They're so absorbed with the character of God and the love of God and the commands of God. The presence of God in their lives. The Apostle Paul succeeded in bringing the gospel to virtually all of what was civilized Europe at that time. If you read the book of Acts, in Acts 19, it's the third missionary journey, and Paul is in Ephesus. And he's there, the text says, for more than two years. And the author Luke writes this. All of the Jews and the Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The Jews and the Greeks, to them, that's everybody. Everyone in that province. Well, wait a minute. Heard the word of the Lord. Well, Paul from Ephesus, that's a 200-mile radius. Acts says all of those people in that 200-mile radius heard the word of the Lord. How did he do that? Well, he had training materials. People would be won, they would be trained, and they would be sent. Paul sent thousands of people throughout Asia with the word of Christ, and the salvation of Christ. Paul believed that he could do all things through Christ, who infused his strength into him. So you've heard that sentence all your church life. So what are you doing? I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, it's possible to say that sentence and not believe it, isn't it? I think you only believe the parts of the Bible that you obey. Scripture says to to pray, says to tithe, it says to love God, to love your neighbors yourself, to witness. So if you do those things, you believe it. If you don't, you must not believe it. So God calls you to that Romans 8 supernatural, superman life Our lives are joined to the One who created the universe. We belong to the One whom God resurrected from the grave. We belong to the One. We say it every week, He ascended into heaven. And He sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But in the book of Acts, He stood. If you read the conclusion of Acts 7, at the death of Stephen, he says, I look into heaven and I see the Son of Man standing. Most of the time he sits, but sometimes he stands. One of the great Christians of the past was William Carey. Well, what were the qualifications of William Carey? He was poor, he was uneducated, and he fixed shoes vocationally. Well, that's just the kind of person that God uses. You might think, well, I've got uh, poor and I'm educated. And I wear shoes. I don't fix them. And I buy as many as I want. Or at least my wife does. buys as many as she wants. So he sat at a, at a bench and he fixed souls. And he dreamed of souls. By the millions, that could be saved. And on the wall... Above his workbench, he had a map of the world. And William Carey prayed for those lost people that had never heard. He dreamed of people that could be won to Christ. So he went to what would be his uh, his version of a presbytery or a or the Baptist organization. The Methodists call it a district. And he told people what he wanted to do. He told those wise men, the leaders of the church, the fathers of the faithful, about the vision that God had given him. So they told him two things. Be quiet and sit down. If God should want to save those people, he doesn't need you to do it. Well, if you have a vision that comes from God... If the alleged spiritual leaders tell you to be quiet and sit down, you don't. And so he gathered funds and he set out on a long trip to India. And he launched what became 200 years ago, it was termed the modern missionary movement. And for 200 years, missionaries have taken the scripture, they've built hospitals, they've built schools, they've translated the Scripture. There was a a break-in in in our neighborhood in in Macon a few months ago. So I said, it is time for the alarm system. Not just the 20-gauge, but man's alarm system. And so I called ADT. Well, they'll get it done. That's the biggest company. And if you want to give the biggest uh, payment on your credit card every month, they're the ones. So this... uh, This African-American came to our house. He was in his mid-50s. I kind of ask people what their story is. Well, I was born in a hospital in Africa built by Christians. And I went to schools that were founded by Christians. And I learned to read the Bible that had been translated into our language. Well, how did you get to America? I had a college scholarship to a school, a Christian school in Oklahoma. That's what those missionaries did. Sit down. They don't need that. So the uneducated William Carey, by the power of God, translated the Bible into several languages. He had a dream, and he believed that God would enable him to carry out that dream. But he simply believed what Paul had written, that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. there was an author that wrote a book called The Strong Name. Here's one sentence from that book. The author writes, if we could but show the world that being committed to Christ is not monotony, but is the most exciting adventure that the human spirit can imagine then those outside looking that live all around you. We saw them at the pit stop at the McDonald's a few minutes ago. They're all around us. Then those outside looking skeptically at Christ would come crowding in. If we could but show the world that being committed to Christ is not monotony, well, what do your friends think of your brand of Christianity? Do they see it as monotony? Or do they see it as exciting? The apostles were often terrified at their circumstances. They were all martyred, you know. But there's not the slightest hint that they were ever bored. You look at your Bible and say, well, I've read some of those stories. I don't need to read any more. There's times when, when everyone is tempted to give up. There's times of tremendous excitement. There's times that we don't know what the next hour or the next day are going to bring. But it's never boring. The greatest adventure you will ever know is to follow the Son of God in the greatest venture, the greatest enterprise in history, the building of his kingdom and it starts with a dream well David you must be dreaming too if you're going to tell us to dream what are you doing well at the uh, close to the age when my father faced a mandatory retirement I set out on my biggest adventure spiritually when I was little, we used to, my mother would read Uncle Wiggly's stories to me, and he was always off on a great adventure of some sorts. Well, I was a PCA pastor for 24 years, so that's an adventure. And so I began to work again with Evangelism Explosion, which teaches people a simple five-point outline of how they can effectively share their faith. So Evangelism Explosion came from one man, one church, one city, it has gone all over the world, and last year the harvest in the sovereignty of God was almost 8 million. And there's a children's version that someday will be in thousands of public schools in America as an after school activity kosher and legal. That was taught to a million children. So I talked to pastors about our ministry and what's new with our ministry. And then I asked a Baptist pastor. They're always good to ask questions. They know a lot. They're great fellows. And I have no idea where this question came from. It's not that I had thought, well, when I, when I get with him, I'm going to ask him this question. So somewhere out of what I laughingly call my mind came this question. I said, and this fellow used to work in, in the Georgia Baptist headquarters in Atlanta, what percentage of Baptist pastors in the state of Georgia are troubled by one of these four words that begins with the letter D. I have no idea where that question came from. It's there. They're either down or they're distressed or they're discouraged or they're depressed. What percentage of pastors? Baptist pastors. Georgia boys. The answer was quick, 80%. So I knew the culture was in decline, that I knew that many churches were in decline, and there it was very clear that the clergy are in decline. So I drive back to my house, my innocent house that wouldn't hurt anyone. And I said, Jesus, could you help connect me to the church leaders of tomorrow? So where are they? seminaries, universities. Well, how could I ever talk to them? Well, in the next six weeks, I'll speak to 6,000 of them. That's my dream. And God did that. You have your dream. You put your hand in his hand and don't let go of it. You? Sure. Students will know quickly that it's been a long time since I was in school but I bring the content of God's Word and how they can implement it, how they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. It's a matter of believing. It's a matter of believing. In the secular world, Oprah will tell you about a positive mental attitude. Be positive about this. Positive mental attitude, some say, is the secret to life and it will enable you to do much. Remember, people used to talk about the Peter Principle, which means in business or in your vocation, you rise to the level where you finally are at a level where you are incompetent. And with your positive mental attitude, it will do much, but you come to the time when you run out of gas because there's a limit to your strength, there's a limit to your ability, there's a limit to your power. So if your trust is in yourself, you get to a certain place. That can be good. That can be excellent. But spiritually, there's a limit on what you can do. But what you men and women can do is much. And with your much, the success you've had in business, the success you've had in in virtually every area of your life that you've come upon, when you're really connected with Christ, you and your dream and Christ, I will do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And having a pastor is not mentioned in that verse, is it? Well, I can't do anything till a pastor gets here. Please, you can be obedient before a pastor gets here you think of the, the biblical narrative about Goliath. Nine feet tall. A shack and a half. And he parades on uh, one side of a valley and he wants somebody to go one on one with him. Well, that brings a uh, massive level of fear and trepidation among the Israeli soldiers because you're probably thinking, well what if what if King Saul says, I believe in you, you're the one. No, so here comes young David, who's killed a bear and a lion. And Saul says, Here, I'm six foot six, says he's a head taller than anyone in Israel. Try my armor on. Doesn't say that he's small just says, no, I'm not used to that, man. You've maybe seen uh, youngsters in that part of the world that still use that kind of a sling with more accuracy than the Atlanta Braves pitching staff. And so he's got that, and he's got his supply of rocks in case I need more than one. But what does he say? What does he believe? I come at you in the name of the Lord. and your own land that God has promised to us. You're out, pal. You don't stand a chance. And the rock through the air strikes him and he's down. And David takes the massive sword that's too big for him, cuts off his head. Cuz he believed it and he had an ability with his sling. His strength. But it doesn't mean that things in your life will be done instantly, that they're done easily. It doesn't mean that at all. It would take a great deal of work for whatever your dream is to occur. But you hold on to Jesus and you hold on to the Scripture. You can be like David. There's some 200 supermen and superwomen in this church. If you've never had a dream, what could you dream? What would you ask God to use you to do if you possessed a guarantee that you would be successful? Maybe you've never had that dream because there's people within your sphere of influence that say, you you can't David hang it on up enjoy some retirement your wife is retired all you are is tired that's right that's right but ask God to give you a dream if you don't have one and take that dream to him and don't let go. And persevere, and persevere, and persevere, and stick with it, because it's not going to come from pastors. If there's 80 percent, they're at a very modest level in that largest denomination, then maybe that's true in our denomination. The uh, the pastor at the church where I was converted. Began in a public school cafeteria, and there were two startup churches there. It was unair conditioned, so he had the 11 o'clock where the temperature in tropical Fort Lauderdale was just about right. And so the church grew and grew and grew, and people were learning how to witness and share their faith. And, and so he bought a, uh, a four or five acre parcel of land, or the, the elders of the church, the church leadership, bought that. Future home of a Presbyterian church. Now, in your history, remember Seward was in the Lincoln cabinet that bought Alaska. And the purchase of Alaska was called Seward's Folly. Seward's Folly. Whatever his name was. It was folly. And somebody wrote on that sign Kennedy's Folly. But it wasn't. And it grew. And it caught exceedingly lost people like me. And it grew. But he had been out on that, uh, that vacant place, uh, acreage in Fort Lauderdale, and he's surrounded by sand, and if you know what they are, sand spurs. And he prayed. He prayed and he prayed. Closed his eyes, prayed. And when he woke up, looked up, ended his prayer, He was surrounded by sand and sand spurs. But it worked. And then he did it again on a ten-acre parcel. He's building again, building for eternity. So this time it's ten acres, and he closes his eyes and prays, surrounded by the sand and the sand spurs, and he prays and ends the prayer. He's got a vision. Sand and sand spurs are still there, but it's a church that won many to Christ and launched a ministry that is probably probably will usher, at this point already 30 million people into eternity. And it's a system that can multiply. So in 2012 it was seven million. 2013, it's eight million. What's the ceiling on something that multiplies? Well, the book of Acts, written by Luke, has the word in Greek, plenthuno, meaning multiply. And as I read my beloved NIV, over four. I grew up on the King James, it used one of those four. The church at Antioch grew rapidly to multiply. To multiply. Was Christianity multiplying by two? Probably not. By 10. And it multiplies again. Maybe by 20. It's massive. So the word that God has for you today, I, you, can do all things through Christ who infuses his strength into you. Well, what can I do? I'll tell you one thing. To the supermen and the superwomen. Are you willing to pray as part of your vision for God to use you in one life in the next year? Would you do that? Would you tell the Lord that you would do that? Would you say, Lord, I lack in some abilities, but I'm I'm good in availability? I'll try to reach one person in one year. Would you help me do that? I'm going to put my hand in your hand. I'm going to really believe it and you're going to use me and through our small groups and through the winsome personas that every one of you has. One person in one year. What is your dream? If you have a godly dream, God will bring it to pass. Let's pray together.